Welcome to Market Scales, The Trust Revolution, How Trust Unlocks the Future. Hosted by the CEO of White Fox Defense, a global leader in drone airspace security, here's technology entrepreneur, Luke Fox. Hello, and thank you everyone for joining us on The Trust Revolution. Today, we are going to explore what Starbucks, the Darknet, and Tesla all have to do with cryptocurrencies. In order to explore all these fascinating topics, we have with us today legal professional Adela Toho Forrester, who has carved out a unique niche exploring regulatory and legislative issues around digital currencies and cryptocurrencies with a particular focus on Bitcoin, and more recently, Monero, or XMR. Many refer to Adela as doing crypto before crypto was crypto. She has worked with startups, think tanks, governments, and some of the largest exchanges in the world, exploring banking solutions involving merging blockchain technologies. As the author of Crossing the Line, Tax Havens, and Offshore Financial Centers, and Bitcoin, Strength in Numbers, she has expertise in the Banking Secrecy Act, BSA, Anti-Money Laundering, AML, and Know Your Customers Laws, CYC. She is also has an expertise in the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, those requirements, plus all of the implications of the Patriot Act. Adela received her first law degree from Nottingham Trent University in the UK and her master's in law from the George Washington University School of Law. Adela, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, Luke. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to be here. Fantastic. Well, We have so much to cover today and things that are literally this is unfolding as we speak. So just to lay this out, just I'd love to understand a little bit more about your background as someone who's been doing crypto before crypto is crypto. What does that what does that mean? How long have we had crypto and what what was before? (laughs) It almost sounds like a scammer who is hitting you up online for money. You know, he's like, (laughs) I've been in the Bitcoin since 2001. No, but what that means is that I uh, started out in the digital uh, space in about 2001 with a few others who had previously worked at Eagled. And I was Eagle. very mm-hmm, at Eagled. Okay. Yeah. What is, what is that? Eagled was uh, kind of like your grandfather in your digital gold exchanges. So uh, that was founded by a gentleman called Doug Jackson. And the idea was to fractionalize gold uh, ownership and make it so that it was easily spent and transferred to something that you could spend it uh, easily, which you are bringing your gold nuggets into the <laughs> into the store. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You know, I was I was intrigued by the gold standard. And more and more, I started to understand the importance of diversifying outside of the traditional financial system. I mean, we all understood the importance of hedging against big finance, but we wanted to make it easy for people to use that store of value. So what we did was model what Eagle did. And so we, with a secure dedicated gold storage, we issued debit cards where users could allocate fractional gold units to those and spend that. We thought that that gold should act as money. Um, You know, gold is fungible. Um, we, We wanted it to be so that people could actually use it without lugging it in ginormous bags and, <laughs> you know, getting shanked at the supermarket. <laughs> it's quite an imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you know, you know, money has key car- characteristics, including store of value, which gold has. But again, gold is not that easy to spend at the supermarket. So. And what is stored value? 
<laughs> That's a philosophical question when it comes to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, a store of value is, uh, is, is basically value that can be used now or, or later or retrieved at a later date for, for spending. And I guess with store value, there's the expectation that the, the value will increase. Mm, so it's not like a tomato at, at the produce store that's going to go bad and eventually be worthless. No, no. Definitely when you think about store value, think about gold because, you know, you're talking about assets. Fascinating. And so you were doing this e, you were doing this e-gold back in 2001. Yeah. How did that, where did where'd you go from there? Well, uh, from there, so we ran that platform, which was modeled after eGold's um, mm, okay. business model. And uh, we had to, after the uh, Patriot Act, shut down shop just because of just the incre incredible amounts of compliance costs to run such a business. Plus, I think at that point, the banks had really started to de-risk and started to decrease what they thought was on what they thought was extremely risky behavior so it was very it was increasingly difficult to keep such a such a relationship with a bank banks that would issue cards that we could then issue to our users i see and so this was you know that entry into tech and digital currencies and where did, and where did kind of crypto emerge from that so, you know, I, 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 everybody has ideas about who they think Satoshi Nakamoto is, but yeah. I really do think that... Is it you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just checking. No, no. I, I, I would probably not be doing this podcast if I were Satoshi. <laughs> I mean, it's been such a, such a culture of secrecy and, you know, um, just anonymity around who Sa Satoshi is. Um, yeah, and if I were Satoshi, I wouldn't say I were, right? Why would yes. I do that? Well, who is Satoshi? Maybe those who don't know. Well, it's not Craig Wright. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, we yeah. know who he's not, but what, what did he do? Or she? So Satoshi is person or persons, not Craig Wright, who <laughs> <laughs> invented in 2008 this incredible concept. And the currency began in 2009 when it was implemented and released as open source software. So that's what Bitcoin is. It's decentralized digital currency that operates without a digital bank or a central or single administrator or the need for an intermediary or even trust, I suppose, uh, where transactions are verified by network nodes through cryptography and recorded on this really grand, amazing thing called a blockchain. And so as far as um, transparency goes, it is the most, probably the most transparent financial system ever created. Wow. Okay. So this is, this is fascinating because you, you say it's the most transparent. Oh yeah. And yet so many, and yet so many people seem, or at least if you read a news article about Bitcoin, it's about how it's so non-transparent and being you know, so secret. And, you know, that's where the uh, know your customers laws come in. So how can it be both transparent and secret enough that, you know, terrorists are using it? Well, at least according to the news. <laughs> well, you know, don't believe everything you read on the news or you hear on okay. the news. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really, really interesting question because it's also uh, somewhat philosophical, but also there is a lot of just a lot of there's very binary truths about this as, as well. Every transaction is recorded on this blockchain and they are time-stamped. They're 
put on this public ledger that anyone can read. So when you're talking about, say, financial audits from a bank, you're, you're not going to get anything like that. Uh, essentially, you're using trust or relying on trust when you're reading a bank's audits because you're trusting that the, uh, you know, Brian Smith is uh, indeed uh, truthful and has nothing to gain from from this, you know, the system or right. Mm -hmm. A blockchain does not have feelings. It is mathematics. And uh, there's a saying that that goes, uh, I trust the laws of mathematics more than I trust the laws of man. You know, <laughs> it's really it is an immutable, it's immutable technology. And so even if you can't put an ID, you can't do KYC really on, on the blockchain, unless you're using, of course, you know, like vanity addresses, which is actually a thing. Um, and then somehow tying that to someone, there are, there are markers that you could use to trace those to people. And that has been done. Uh, if that had never been done, then their chain analysis would not exist. Uh, subpoenas would never, ever get to exchanges. Um, but yeah, it is very, very transparent. Fascinating. And so you mentioned trust, and you know that's a lot of the, the theme of this uh, show, which is why we're talking about cryptocurrency. Is So you talk about it, it's trustless. Is that, is, did I hear you right? That, it, that you don't have to trust. Trustless. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. It How means... can you trust it so much, but then have it be trustless? Oh, so uh, I'm Adela, you are Luke. I have to send you money. Uh, we use the same bank. Let's use a, let's just use a bank example. So I want to send you money uh, from my bank account to your bank account. There's an element of trust that must be included in that transaction because I'm not in charge of that transaction actually being executed. So when I go onto, when I log into my account and I say, send $30 to Luke, I have to trust that the person who's running the, the bank transfer systems or the, right. the, the system itself uh is going to send that money mm. and so that's what i mean when i say trust we 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 trust that it's going to be done with a blockchain we don't have to do that with a blockchain like bitcoin we don't have to do that i i, I click send and it's sent the end right there's no middleman that you have to, that you have to trust that's, that's right. going to take the money from you and you hope after taking it from you will give it to me exactly yeah. Fascinating. And so is this why I've, I've heard you mention publicly that you're a Bitcoin maximalist? <laughs> is this is this what that means? <sighs> does that mean you love Bitcoin or you you think it's, uh, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So Bitcoin maximalism is a really interesting term. And I might be wrong, but I think it was actually coined by uh, Vitalik Buterin. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, guys, if I'm wrong about this, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a term that's evolved uh, from from this community that's really fierce in its ideological and beliefs on technology. And in short, uh, maximalists, maximalists believe with that crazy conviction that Bitcoin is the only currency and in fact, the only currency that is worth paying any sort of mind to, any sort of serious mind to. I used to be a, a Bitcoin maximalist. You're a convert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm a convert, but I think the maxim that, you know, uh, today's 
philosophies or tomorrow's common sense certainly comes into play. Because uh, I, I generally feel very neutrally about things until I have evidence to not feel neutrally about that sort of thing. For some reason, I was just very taken with Bitcoin because there was nothing like it before before Bitcoin. Right. Right. So it it, it it should have been the best. But, you know, Gandhi, I think Gandhi said something like, listen, the last thing that I say about anything is how I really feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there with that. But maximalists feel that any kind of altcoin that's not Bitcoin is techni uh, technically flawed, probably morally questionable, and you're a bad person <laughs> if you use it, you're a scammer. Uh, yes, purists. Yes, yes. And I do work with such a person, holler at tone vase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he does feel that way. But you know, I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm open minded to, to look at the utility of other things. Like what? There's so many other coins out there, right? Like I hear about every time I turn around, it seems like there's another coin that's going to change the world. Oh, it's too much, right? What what what's what is the coin that's going to change the world? Because I got to you know invest some money. <laughs> well, Bitcoin changed the world. How about that? Okay, Bitcoin. Is there are there others that you think people need to be looking at? Ah, uh, you know, it's funny because I you know of course coming from that maximalism position, I started to edge over to uh, to Dash. I was very intrigued by by Dash and and how it worked, and I really kind of wanted to understand, you know, more more about it. Uh, and I think it was a privacy as aspect that really uh, kicked it in for me. I probably didn't tie it in together, but I think that's that's what it that that's what it was. Uh, what is Dash then? Maybe oh, maybe I'm missing that. Yeah. So it's an open source crypto and it's uh, an altcoin that was forked on uh, from the Bitcoin protocol. Mm. So it's it's also a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. People can correct me if I'm wrong there. <laughs> and it is run by its users. And I love that the users are called masternodes. I think you have to uh, you have to uh, masternode ownership requires buying 1000 Dash. And, you know, there's certain things that I know, right? Uh, there's certain requirements that go into being a masternode. You need to have a static IP address. Uh, you have to have some uh, minimal requirements for CPU, RAM, disk space, and, and all of that bandwidth. Mm -hmm. um, but what it is, is, is it's this centralized protocol that enables uh, some really cool stuff so you can you can basically you can vote on there's a voting mechanism where you can vote on projects and i think what really was very attractive to me about dash is that it provides for two different kinds of transactions so there is an instant send transaction and there is a what's it called there's a private send transaction and so you can kind of like opt into that private that privacy which mm -hmm. You know, I it's a theme for me. Yes, <laughs> and and keeping that private. And so the Dash project is, uh, it is a coin. It sounds like, and it's a way to exchange money, both with uh, that on the ledger on on, on a public ledger, but also or privately. Mm -hmm. No, it's a it's a it's a fork of Bitcoin. Oh, it's a fork of Bitcoin. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, so the purists just despise it. Oh, yes, like. yes, yes. The, <laughs> <laughs> listen, the purists despise anything that isn't Bitcoin. 
Okay. And, you know, I, I find that a little like if there's a word for xenophobia in in yes. that space, that's that's probably what it is. I'm sorry to all my purist friends. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get lots of comments, I'm sure. And so when we're when we're talking about the cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin or Dash or some other fork or something totally different, some have argued that they have the potential to serve billions and billions of people who around the world who are underserved, underbanked, disenfranchised. How does a hip, cool new technology that you know exists on the deep inner web change people's lives around the world? I mean, can I throw that back at you and ask you how does it not? Well, I mean, it's to me. I think of somebody trading Bitcoin, and you can and somebody can crucify me for this, but I think of a cool hip guy in Silicon Valley saying that he want you know wants to use his bitcoin and th some woman saying she wants to go you know and wants a new restaurant to accept bitcoin because it's cool it's hip it's fun it's secret it's trustless you know all of these things so how does i and when i think of somebody who's underbanked underserved i think of somebody you know in in afghanistan who where there have you know major banking uh, issues historically over the years, and some of those are being solved, or in you know some some reaches of uh, in some semi-autonomous regions like on um, in, in that uh, in that area in Asia where the government is a little more unstable, and there's debate about who actually runs you know thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Is that how do, how do those two connect? Yeah, well, I you know this is. For me, the whole reason why I am in this space, um, just from a very young age, I, I just remember pondering on, you know, things like equity and equal equality. And I was always bothered by the fact that not everyone had equal access to, to things. Uh, far from communism, more speaking more on the incompetencies of governments and governance. But I think with, I think with a protocol like Bitcoin, what you have is um, a, a permissionless way for the underbanked, the unbanked, the disenfranchised to participate in a global financial arena without their incompetent government's uh, per permission. I think that's, that's really powerful. And so one of the things that and that many governments have been facing over the last decade is uh is inflation and having you know what used to cost used to be able to buy a loaf of bread for now costs thousands and thousands of their uh their dollars and to the point where it, you know the dollars almost become meaningless and so does bitcoin you know people i know bitcoin has been talked about maybe replacing actual currency within countries do you think that's realistic? Like to somebody going completely into some cryptocurrency, would it be Bitcoin? Would it be their own their own country's coin? What does that look like? Wow. Um, I I wish I knew the answer to that. I think I'd be a lot richer if I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I just I don't know. I I just know that it's good for people to have choice. So again, if I need to send you back to our earlier analogy, bank to bank. But uh, let's throw in another uh, variable here. Um, I need to send you money. And um, I say, hey, I'm going to send you a bank wire. And you say, well, I, I don't use banks. Uh, can you send me crypto? And I'll say, well, sure, I would love to send you crypto. 
what, uh, what, what, what currency do you want? Uh, you maybe specify XMR or Bitcoin and we agree that uh, that's what you're going to use. And, mm -hmm. and lo, it's done. We, we do the transaction. Another example is that when I buy things out of China, I usually use PayPal. Mm -hmm. You know? Why? Why, do you, why PayPal? Well, oh, there's a whole underground economy of uh, banking services for Chinese companies. We're not even going to get into that because I think we're going to get But why not segregate. a credit card? Right. Why, why PayPal versus a credit card? Well, most of them just offer that PayPal option. It's harder for them to, to bite into the, the American financial system than it is to get an account on PayPal. I think PayPal is a little bit more accommodating um, on that score. Gotcha. And so PayPal is kind of the intermediary uh, that's better that's right. than in the, U the U.S. financial system for moving money uh, around the world. But not as secure, maybe, and not as trustless. They're still a middleman as other Bitcoins. They're still a middleman. They're still also uh, a, 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 the custodians. So when that funds funds are sent to them, they can hold on to those and freeze those. And of course, if you have uh, uh, disputes between borders, that can be very difficult. Gotcha. Yeah, and money can get held up. And exactly. Okay. Oh, and it's, so a, it's an old story. It's happened. It happens all the time. And this goes to the peer-to-peer -peer value. Exactly. And so today's a really interesting day in Bitcoin in that right now, as we're recording this, Bitcoin is hitting its highest high that it's ever been at around $44,000 per Bitcoin. And this is right on the heels of Tesla announcing that they're investing $1.5 billion US dollars into Bitcoin, and they plan to accept it as a payment. What does this mean for Bitcoin? Is this a sign that it's becoming more popular? Is this kind of just a one-off thing from Tesla and Elon Musk? Do we have other companies done this? Like, what what does this mean? I it's certainly exciting, but uh, guess what? Uh, there were celebrations when uh, the price of Bitcoin hit thirty dollars and a thousand dollars, and I remember these uh, distinctly. And eight thousand dollars. Oh my God! People were losing it. Uh, $20,000. Wow. No one could believe it. Uh, and now we're up at what he said, 44, 44 it's as a, of right now. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is an interesting character. I think we can all agree on that, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the news of Tesla's investment, um, making the, 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 the currency soar at least 14% from before that announcement, which is, uh, was it before the announcement? It, it's about, it, it works out to be about 14%. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's just that it's a little sad. It's very exciting, but it's a little sad. It's a little sad that this information about Bitcoin has been out here and available to everyone for for so long, for so many years. Mm -hmm. And we literally have to see someone else that we look up to as some sort of leader do it first before we do it. And so his... Uh, well, trust. It is right? trust. We trust Elon more than we trust Bitcoin. Right. Oh my God, that is such a great takeaway. That's a great takeaway. The question is, should we? No offense, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
but it's it's really interesting of of how how sort of sheepish we are in a sense, and I'm not seeing this in a very dis, in a disparaging way at all, but I'm just saying that I think it's human nature for us to to look at other people do something before we feel comfortable doing it, like the you know the vaccines, which let's not even talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> we've done another episode on that. <laughs> that, that was an exciting episode. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I I know they went through this supposedly, allegedly went through this extensive process where the decision was approved by their audit committee, and you know they acquired this one point five billion because ostensibly they were gonna they're gonna uh, accept Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll see, we'll see. Um, but it it does it's one of these end justifies the means thing for me and mm -hmm. in, in my. In my in my rationale here, so I I don't care what Elon tweets or texts or whatever right. you know or publicizes. If people adopt Bitcoin, which has been the main function of my my work and my mission uh, since you know 2011, Ted, then yay! Uh, thank you, Elon. <laughs> yes, he's he's helping out. So. I'm I'm going to ask you a question here, and, uh, and this is not legal advice, but I'm going to ask you as a, as an attorney. Uh, uh, so let me let me just yes. let me just say before you you go on. Yes, <laughs> I I do have <laughs> I do have two law degrees. I am not a practicing attorney. I am okay. a legal professional, so yes. we're not giving any legal advice. Okay, good. We're we're on the same page. Okay. So I'm just curious now. Elon has is talked about uh, Bitcoin a lot. On Twitter, uh, you we've seen the price jump up as he, right before this announcement, he put in his Twitter bio hashtag Bitcoin, which drove the price of, price of Bitcoin up. I'm just curious, like now that he owns publicly 1.5 billion dollars of Bitcoin, do we ex like do we expect? Well, that he doesn't to... own 1.5. Well, Tesla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tesla. Good point. Good. Yeah, so Tesla owns it. Thank you for the clarification. Do, do we expect, like, if he starts doing that again, you know, we, t we, he saw, we see that he's taken it off his Twitter, but if he just put posts Bitcoin, every time he does that, every time he says Bitcoin in a tweet, the price jumps up. Like, is that manip is that stock manipulation? Is that, is does stock manipulation count with Bitcoin? Like, how does this work? Well, wow. These are really unexplored areas in the law. Um, it has been recognized uh, widely that Bitcoin is not a security. Inherently, it's not a security. So it means it's not a stock. Right. No, it's not a stock. Okay. No. Bitcoin is inherently not a, a stock. And you can look to, I think, SEC versus Shavers. Shout out to my, my main guy, uh, Jason Seibert, uh, <laughs> who was on that matter. Uh, it is, Bitcoin is not inherently a security, Right. But, so it's yeah. But it can yeah, be me. used as a security. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, it can be used as a security. So you could securitize something, and you could uh, use Bitcoin as that as a denomination, the denomination of that securitization. Oh, so if it's not a security, does that mean it's legal tender? Well, it's not legal tender because a legal tender is. Uh, generally defined as uh, an asset that's been produced by a central bank or government or minted by a Fed, that sort of thing. So then what is it? If it's not a legal tender, <laughs> if it's not a security? Well, it depends on who you are asking. It's that, oh, you know, okay. it's that uh, 
that allegory of the the blind men in the room of the yes. elephant, and they're okay. all touching a different part of the elephant, and they're all feeling something different. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, if you if you talk to FinCEN, I mean, uh, they, the 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 Bank Secrecy Act treats Bitcoin as a as a as a currency, mm -hmm. but not not a not legal tender, a convertible currency, digital currency, right? Uh, the CFTC has says it, it could be a commodity. Uh, the IRS says, well, hey, we're going to tax this as property. Um, you know, so, it so it's really, like a house or a gold bar is gold bar property. I mean, it like it, it could be a commodity. I think you're speaking. So is a commodity a now. digital is commodity a, is commodity a legal tender? No, no, a commodity no. is not legal tender. So where does commodity fall in all of it? <laughs> Why are you stuck on commodities? <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to see where like where's the how does it break down of like if it's not a, if it's not a officially legal tender if it's not a securities if or a security if it like where it falls in the spectrum of like day to day life like is it a gold bar is it like a house is it like a dollar bill? Okay, so let me let me put it like this. It is yeah. it is not inherently any of these things, right? Okay. <laughs> it's not. But it could be so used it, yes. as some of these things. I see. Okay. It's the classic it depends that we get from oh legal God. professionals. All the time. <laughs> yeah. So let me let's just put a an it depends here. Yes. Okay, fast I, I we'll accept that. And so I don't think we're going to solve if it's a what type of property or uh, currency it is t on this uh, well, discussion. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what though. Let's yeah. let's let's do this. Let's just let's just suffice it to say that um, almost every single administrative agency in in the United States has um, has identified that it could be used as a, the thing that they're regulating, right? Mm. And given some sort of guidance on how what that use case could be like. Fascinating, like what that would look like if it were that. Yes. So I see. Yeah. So you're uh, the 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 sort of the Bible on um, on on Bitcoin and the Treasury. Uh, well, not just the Treasury, but down to FinCEN because FinCEN and the IRS are both part of the Treasury, right? Mm -hmm. So so Bitcoin and FinCEN, FinCEN put out that um, that guidance on persons uh, using and transacting with Bitcoin and in 2013, 14, which is sort of the gold standard, <laughs> love that term. Yes, uh, of <laughs> guidance uh, in that in the space. So if your company transacting using Bitcoin, uh, that's where you would look to get guidance on that. I, I see, and that's that's where that guidance comes from, and that tells you if you know if you use it to buy something, then it you it suddenly becomes a then you're a user. You, yeah. Okay. Then, then you're gotcha. a user and you would fall under a different set of requirements. If you use it as a business to exchange or, or transmit, then you would be deemed a money transmitter. And that would mean that you would have to register and do all this reporting, uh, you know, get a compliance officer, do KYC, blah, 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 blah. Gotcha. And so one of the things that I've been, th that I've been thinking about recently, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, is it, more and more people are discussing how Starbucks is uh, is almost itself 
an unregulated bank managing one and a half billion dollars of digital currency. And this seems to be like a growing discussion, especially in the crypto space is like, if this is a digital currency and what they're doing is, uh, you know, essentially holding $1.5 billion worth of cash that they've transferred into their Starbucks, you know, kind of coin, I guess, uh, by with their did with their gift cards. How like what does that can you help us shed some light on that? Is that really are they really a digital currency? Is that kind of hope for for the digital currency space like cryptocurrencies? So what I what I think this is speaking to is that whole gift card and cryptocurrency um, marriage that seems to uh, be this really I don't know it, nobody's really looking into this. I believe that it's an amazingly huge economy uh, that exists right under crypto that helps fuel the price of crypto is understudied and not very well understood since probably most of that activity happens on the dark net. Okay, the dark net. So can you paint this picture? Where does Starbucks, how does Starbucks then trickle down into the dark net? Like, can you give me a, an example of how somebody would use that? Like a, a Starbucks gift card? Sure. So, so they really like coffee. Like let's, what? <laughs> no, let's let's just. I don't. I don't think they're just talking about Starbucks. I think we're talking about Amazon cards, for example, and for Starbucks. Sure. Yeah? yeah, but let's yeah. let's just all these gift cards, like this, so much money tight locked into the gift card industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's let's go back to the beginning of this whole thing. Uh, you have to understand that we're at a point in the space where crypto is very very well understood by many people, but not everyone. So how everyone uses, accepts, understands cash, maybe not the fundamental values of it. Uh, we're just not there with crypto. And so, you know, after pizza guy happens. <laughs> pizza guy? Pizza guy. Yeah. That guy who got somebody to accept uh, Bitcoin for a pizza on March 22. <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. So so here here's the thing. The the gift cards are one way to provide uh cash management, if you may, in the space. And so they're a bunch of people, basically they're a bunch of people with gift cards and they need to buy Bitcoin so they could then transfer the uh transfer the Bitcoin into some other coin or fiat. And they have no real way of doing this. Because it's just digital. Right, right. So, I mean, I'm curious to, to find out what you thought about that, that whole thing, though. Is that okay? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's just so fascinating is that there's Starbucks. Has, it's come out that uh, over the last couple of years, but really clearly more recently, that Starbucks has $1.5 billion just tied up, just sitting in cash. Uh, that have been given to them in, in, in exchange for gift cards. And so this raises the question, like, who are all these people that are loading money into Starbucks? Um, and as you pointed out, also this uh, similar for Amazon, where they're holding all of this incredible amount of money in gift cards. Like, are those just the average everyday users? And, you know, and, and Starbucks just has this free money that they're sitting on? Or are they kind of an unregulated bank because there's maybe a lot of those people, as we've seen, as you mentioned, on the dark web, 
like with a lot of people who are using Starbucks and Amazon gift cards in this exchange. So it's like this kind of locked in uh, economy that's kind of hidden on this, you know, the uh, Starbucks balance sheet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to acquire gift cards. You know, yeah, you and just, anonymously. Yeah, right? yeah. You can run <laughs> no, down no, to your, your CBS and uh, buy a couple gift cards. And, uh, you know, I think if you're desperate enough, you can sell those for, you know, uh, six to eight points uh, on a dollar. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think of it as uh, the, the welfare, the welfare uh, cards that they have. There's a huge economy there as well. Mm-hmm. Where people, uh, you know, sell these cards for less than their "quote unquote" less than they're they're actually worth, and it's that that concept of actually just needing something and and being able to, uh, uh, being willing to part with it for "quote unquote" less than it's actually worth. But you know, it is anonymous and easy to to acquire gift cards, and it's. Um, uh, somebody discovered that it's easy to um, to trade them on on the internet for crypto, and so I mean that's right. that's how services like Purse.io works, which is where I what I use to to buy my uh, my stuff from Amazon. Is all, all through so Purse.io allows you to exchange cryptocurrency for Amazon gift cards. Then you can buy things from Amazon essentially with crypto. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. Yep. It's 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 like this whole underground economy, this whole world that, in some oh, totally ways, is. you know, that's how Paxful creates... got started. You know, what is it? Paxful. And what do they do? Paxful started off just selling gift cards for crypto. Actually, creating a platform, I think, that matched buyers and sellers for gift cards for crypto. Gotcha. And so people are entrusting these kind of essentially it sounds like middlemen even though that's kind of what bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are trying to get around well it's a it's a matching platform it's like well you know like okay. your craigslist uh you put up an ad you want to sell this mm. thing they hey i have a hundred dollar uh amazon card i want to sell it for eighty dollars and uh somebody listen you're 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 actually just engaging in free market activity somebody wants to buy it for eighty dollars they will they don't want to buy it for eighty dollars. They won't. Why would somebody sell it for eighty? Why would somebody sell something for less than it's what it says it's worth on it? Right. So I mean, you have to think about it like this. Oh, well, I do at least. Uh, on one hand, you have crypto. On the other hand, you have gift cards. Uh, both things have some sort of value. Uh, mm-hmm. The value is not immediately transferable. Right. So the crypto, you have to take some steps to turn that into something that you can use to buy milk at the store. Mm-hmm. And the very same for, you know, your gift cards. And I think they're sort of at parity with their uh with with their, their worth, I would say, to the to the user. And so I think that that's why there's a lot of flexibility in those markets, because those people get to decide, you know what they'll take for that for that asset mm. you know the the free market <laughs> yes yes the free market that i so love yeah and so you know in our final moments together i'm curious you know what do you want to ensure everyone hears about the importance of trust and how that relates to cryptocurrencies and 
what we can all be doing to create a better, more trusting world? Well, I, you know, I think it's really important. Or trustless world. <laughs> I think a more trustless world leads, leads to a more trusting world. I think mm. if we rely more on the uh, on on math, mm -hmm. that we actually do become more trusting because we don't have to rely on these human emotions that go into into these things. So again, back to our earlier analogy, I'm sending you money from my bank to your bank. I have to to trust that. A middle person does exactly what it is that they're supposed to do. And if there's anything that human history has taught us is that people are not going to do exactly <laughs> what it is that they're supposed to do at all times. <laughs> yes. And, and we see that both out of, you know, kind of negligence and uh, malevolence and all sorts of motivations. But yeah, that and that's where that trustless comes in. It's such a fascinating idea to think about how becoming more trustless makes and allows us to be more trustful. It's, it's, it's such a fascinating concept. And ultimately, you're, what you're arguing for is to trust math, trust the, the cryptocurrency, the basis for what that is. Wow, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad that we can dive into all these topics. There's so much more we could talk about. Maybe we'll have to have you back on the show. One of the key takeaways that I've heard from everything we've talked about is it's so clear that as we progress in technology and ingenuity and innovation, there are so many more options for how we can interact, how we can transact, how we can store our value, how we can exchange the value that we've created, whether it's through an Amazon gift card or through a buying a Tesla car or through keeping it in a in a Bitcoin wallet, there's just so much that we can do as we move into using these trustless technologies to ultimately create trust. That's just so fascinating. And, you know, those are some of just some of my takeaways from this. I hope that uh, for everyone listening, that you can think through yours, share yours, I'd love to hear them, comment them, tweet them, let us hear them. And if you've applied any of Adela's advice to kind of what you're thinking about, to you, things that you're, uh, how you're shaping your investment, how you're looking at the value of money and what money really means from a philosophical point, please share your experiences. We'd love to hear them. We might even share them on the next episode. And if any of our listeners would like to hear more of your perspective, Adela, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm I'm a little bit silent on social media. You know, I'm just I'm okay. on an island and just enjoying the beaches now and I'm not relying on, on my distraction machines. But I am on Twitter at uh, Bitcoin Khaleesi. So, uh, you know, they can... Uh, and how do you spell that? Uh, Bitcoin and Khaleesi, K-H... Oh, boy. <laughs> K-H-A... L-E-E-S-I. Fantastic. Well, it definitely sounds like you've uh, been enjoying your, your escape and work, working from a, an island during, uh, during COVID. So I'm glad to hear that and uh, staying off the, the social media. But if anybody wants to get in contact with Adela, you have her uh, Twitter. Thank you so much, Adela, for joining us on the show. It's been my absolute pleasure. Awesome. Well, it's, it's been my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation. And to everybody listening, thank you again for joining us. And I hope you can join us next time on The Trust Revolution.